0: All right, welcome to the Righteous Round Podcast. This week, we are going to be starting a new series on engaging culture. Um, today is session one. We're gonna be talking about, should we even engage in controversial issues? You know, and that's because there is, there's a lot of teaching out there that basically says, as Christians, we should never engage in controversy. Um, so I wanna take a deep dive into that today. And let's let's look at it. Okay, so first of all, we have to understand that, that Christianity is, growing increasingly controversial in America today. All right. But it's a certain kind of Christianity, right? There's a type of Christianity that everybody's okay with. And that's the kind that basically boils down to boils Christianity down to, you know, love people, you know, try and be nice to them. That's the kind of Christianity that everybody's at this point is is okay with. All right. Um, But there is a type of Christianity that is increasingly controversial, and that's the type that addresses things like homosexuality, abortion, legislation of morality, proselytization, in a way that is contrary to kind of what's popular in in certain parts of America today. All right? And I think we all know what we're talking about here. And um, there is a lot of teaching out there that basically says, hey, Christians should not talk about any of this stuff. Okay? Do not engage in the culture war. Do not be political all of that stuff just offends people and it keeps people from just coming to Jesus and and getting saved. All right. And, um, there is this question, should Christians even talk about these things? All right, my answer right up front, I'm going to give it to you, is that it's an unequivocal yes. All right, if you've been following me or listening to this podcast, well, you know that that's, you knew that was going to be my answer. All right, today what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the scriptures about why this is so. All right, why this is important, why answering the way that I do. But first, I want to address, you know, some of this argument that says, you know, you don't throw kids into the deep end of the pool. Meaning, you don't give people things that are too, mature for them to handle all right what we want to do is you know give the most presentable parts about jesus first right we want to contextualize the gospel we want to we want to tell people about how great he is what's so wonderful about it and then once people fall in love with jesus you know once they give their lives to him once they trust him then they can handle some of these more controversial offensive things you know but we shouldn't be starting off with those things something like that Okay, um, I do want to say I, I think there is an argument here, and I'll get into how I think um, it, it the right understanding of that fits in. Um, but the verse that's often used to justify this type of teaching is from First Corinthians nine, and it's where Paul Paul is saying, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the to win the weak. I become all things to all people. So that by all possible means I might save some, I do this all for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Okay, and so the way you know many people interpret this verse is that Paul is saying that hey, winning souls is the number one point. This is what I'm after, and so because of that, I, I'm going to become you know like Jews to the Jews, I'm going to become like Greeks to the Greeks, I'm going to become weak to the weak, and because my heart is I want to win them, and that should be our heart too, right? We want to win them. That's got to be number one. Okay. Now, the, my, my problem with that interpretation is that there's many other parts of Paul's teachings and actual lessons that run afoul of that, that type of interpretation, okay? And that's the idea that we should hide offensive parts of the gospel, right? Um, Paul didn't do that, okay? Paul was very offensive many of the times, and he no know, was knowingly offensive. He spoke things that he knew were going to be hard for people to accept, but he still said them. All right? And he makes it very explicit here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And he goes on, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay, so Paul's saying that I know our, mes- our message is offensive okay? Our message sounds like foolishness to the Greeks, and it sounds like ridiculousness to the Jews, and it's also, it's, offens- it's offensive to the Jews, okay? And he understood that, and what you see in his own preaching is that he did not shy back from that, right? So, in Acts 17, he's in Athens speaking to pagans, right? People who worship Zeus and Athena and all these other various gods, and he's telling them this, um, he preaches the gospel message, and he ends it by saying, For God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. And It says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on the subject. Okay? It's a good example because Paul understood that the idea of people being raised from the dead was foolishness to the Greeks. And he still said it anyway. Right, he still talked about that anyway. Right, knowing that it would cause many of them to scoff and it'd be like, "Oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about." He understood that, but he was still going to preach it. Okay, he was still going to say it. And what you're going to see is that Paul was very controversial in his day. All right, a lot of people did not like Paul. Um, in Ephesus, he is, um, you know, he, a riot. He starts a riot. Um, but what I always try and you know clarify is that Paul didn't start the riot. Okay, you know. In, in, in the book of Acts, it talks about the men who have turned the world upside down have come here, right? And it's this idea that, you know, Paul is, is, everywhere he goes, there's calamity and there's riots starting, but Paul's not causing those things, okay? Paul's not starting them. But what he's doing is he's speaking truths that are offensive and that threaten people, okay? And in the case of Paul in Ephesus, it's the silver maker, it's the idol maker, feels threatened because he makes his money through selling idols. And he's worried that if Paul becomes popular and the message he's preaching becomes popular, then he'll lose his business and he'll lose, um, you know, the favor of the gods that he worships and all this kind of stuff. And so he's worried about that. And that's why he raises a riot against Paul. Okay. But that's specifically because Paul does not shy away from preaching things that are offensive in his culture. Okay. And this is, you know, what you're going to find many times is that the gospel is offensive at times, all right? But the same truth that sets people free will offend others, okay? Um, Now, all that being said, I do think there is some truth to this idea that we should not try to be needlessly offensive, okay? I agree with that, all right? I don't think we should throw children into the deep end of the pool, all right? I think we should, you know, start them in at the, the shallow end of the pool, but we should explain that the deep end is good, it's not evil, all right? And that you have to go there sometimes, okay like we have to teach them how to go into the deep end of the pool and the 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 idea here is that we have to explain that the gospel is harsh at times that it is offensive at times that the commands of god are you know holy and mysterious and that we're not going to you know approve of them like at all times the the whole the whole idea of faith is that we're trusting we're trusting that god's commands are good even when we don't Understand how they're good, all right. And if we're offended by them and that drives us away from God, then that's our fault, right? That's our fault. And so, I don't think we should intentionally try to be provocateurs. I don't think we should, you know, be yelling at everybody that you know God hates gay people and you know wants to send them to to hell and all this kind of stuff. I don't think that's true, by the way. Um, But. I do think that um, it is important that we not shy away from the truth, right, that if we continue to practice sin, including homosexuality, that we cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's an important truth that we have to be clear about, all right? So we shouldn't try to offend people, but we also should not um, shy away from speaking controversial truth okay? And Jesus is very clear about this, that we cannot be ashamed of his commands, all right? In Luke 9, he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and w- but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to, sa- to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels, okay? So Jesus is, is, is very clear here that if we're ashamed of his words, then on the day of judgment, that is going to cost us, right? It's going to cost us on the Day of Judgment. And I just want to lovingly say that for many people, there is, there is shame, okay? I think we see that, you know, when we see pastors, you know, going on national TV and being asked point blank by reporters and journalists saying, hey, is, is homosexuality a sin? Is abortion a sin? And they can't answer the, the, the truth clearly. And the thing is, you know, a lot of those reporters, they know they're not being Truthful, they know they're they're um, spinning, you know. They're spinning the issue to make it sound better. Like, but when they try and just pin them down, point like, no. But is it a sin? <laughs> you know, like it's a problem when we have leaders in the body of Christ that can't answer those questions truthfully, because that's a, a wonderful opportunity to defend the truth, right? To say why the truth is good. Right, if we're asking why is you know why is abortion wrong? Well, the answer is because we're defending the life of an innocent person. And that's what we're calling we're calling America to see that this is not just a clump of tissues, it's not just a fetus, it's a person and it deserves our our protection. The baby deserves our protection, it deserves the right to life and dignity, and that's what we're fighting for. Okay? Like what what a great opportunity to to speak the truth there. Um, but when we're ashamed, it shows, okay? All right, and the the last principle that I really want to clarify is that, you know, Christians don't get persecuted for speaking non-controversial truths, right? Like, if you just speak, you know, truth of how God loves you and has a plan for your life, those are true things, and if you just say those, you're not, you won't be persecuted, right? Um, You get persecuted when you speak into truths that become political, Okay, because politics is we're talking about like power. All right, so when you speak truth that threatens people's power, that's when you become dangerous to them and that's when you get persecuted. And that's the history of scripture. Okay, in the scriptures, we're going to see that when persecution breaks out against people of God, oftentimes it's because they're speaking truths that are political that are threatening people's power. Okay, What you're going to see is that throughout Scripture, the people of God, who are held up to us as examples and heroes, do not shy away from that. In fact, they are sent to speak those truths, and they're persecuted for it. So I want to give examples from the Old Testament prophets, from Jesus, and from the New Testament apostles. Okay, Because we're going to see examples of all of them. All right, The example I'm going to use in the Old Testament is the sin of Jeroboam. Okay, Jeroboam... Um, he was a king of the northern tribe of Israel, okay? So, to understand this issue, let me back up, and let me say that um, Israel was commanded to worship by God at Jerusalem, all right? That was the place. They were not allowed to sacrifice in other places once the temple was established in Jerusalem, okay? Um, But after Solomon's reign, the kingdom of Israel split into two, so you had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom, and the king's of the north didn't want their people having to go to Jerusalem, which was in the south, to worship, all right? They didn't want them having to go there to make sacrifice. So what, the, what Jeroboam did was he set up alternative worship sites at Dan and Bethel, he built golden calves, and told the Israelites, worship here, okay? And the idea here is that they were still worshiping Yahweh, okay, but they were mixing in pagan practices, and that's exactly what Um, God did not want, which is why, they were commanded to worship in Jerusalem only, okay? And um, obviously, this is sin. This is major sin. But my point is, I want to say that it was also politics, okay? Politics necessitated this sin from the eyes of the northern kingdom, okay? And God sent prophets from Judah to the north. So here's one example in 1 Kings 13. By the word of the Lord, a man came to God... a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, 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 this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places who make offerings here with human bones and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a sign. This is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart and the ashes on it will be poured out. And when King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from from the altar and said, Seize him. But the hand he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Okay, so the reason why I'm giving this example is because we see all these elements here. Number one, highly political issue. Very political. In fact, you could be really cynical. if You can imagine that people at this time would be totally cynical about this. Like some guy comes from Judah and he's saying, hey, you guys are sinning like crazy by worshiping here. You need to go and worship in Jerusalem and make sacrifice there. Okay? And um, boy, that sounds like a spy. It sounds like, you know, an agent of the South coming to destroy, you know, the Northern Kingdom and sabotage and all this kind of stuff. It, it, you know, you can put on your cynical hat and see it that way. But this was an issue of sin right? And it threatened the people in power. In this case, it's Jeroboam. And Jeroboam tries to persecute him. He tries to seize him, throw him in jail, right? And the Lord delivers this prophet. Um, But this is the pattern that we see, okay? Now, we should understand that the reason why we know this is, you know, a major controversy is because we see it even in the time of Jesus, okay? In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman, okay? And the woman asks him this question about this issue. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So this woman comes and asks Jesus, answer this, you know, ancient controversy for me, right? Because our fathers told us that we're to worship on this mountain, but you Jews say that we have to worship in Jerusalem, okay? Um, the Samaritans were the descendants of the northern tribes of Israel, okay? So this is um, this is evidence that this controversy uh, persisted until Jesus' day, okay? All right. Now, the second example I'm going to give is from Jesus' own life. We should understand this. Jesus was persecuted for political reasons. We should understand why he was put on trial, why he was crucified, all right? It's because of politics, okay? It's because of politics. And Jesus could have avoided that, all right? Jesus could have avoided that. If he had simply not said the controversial and political things that he said, he would not have been persecuted. In fact, if Jesus just wanted to be, you know, accepted as the Messiah of Israel— he could have done it, all right? He could have done it. He just had to avoid saying th- some of these really controversial things, but he did not, okay? He did not. And, in fact, what he says, is, is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What we need to understand is that God uses truths, controversial truths, to test our hearts. A better way to understand it is that truths become controversial when they're heavily fought over, okay? And so when truths are heavily fought over, um... You know, it's, it's, a, it's an issue of testing. And so when God speaks a truth to us, it tests our hearts. Will we trust him? Will we obey him? All right? And God doesn't shy away from speaking controversial truths. That's not how this works. No, the enemy tries to make truth controversial, all right, by convicting a lot of people of another argument. And then it becomes a controversy, all right? But our job is to discern the will of the Lord and to stand by it, even when it causes people to hate us for it okay, and Jesus did this several times, okay, so one example is, um, you know, Jesus was tested on the issue of taxes, all right, should we pay taxes to Caesar, all right, Matthew 22, the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians' teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity, that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? And the way you see is that Jesus rebukes him because he understands they're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him in this. And we should understand why this is a trap. And that's because this is one of the most controversial issues. Okay? It's a, it's a very politicized issue. Okay? In Jesus' day. And the issue is this. No matter how Jesus answers this, he's going to have people hating him. All right? If he says, yes, pay taxes to Caesar, then you have a large... Um, portion of Israel that would see him as a Roman, as a Rome lover, all right, as a sympathizer to Rome. The zealots, for example, hated the Romans, okay, and were actively trying to revolt and fight off the Romans, and there were many people that were sympathetic to that idea, okay? And if Jesus were to say, don't pay taxes to Caesar, well, then, they could charge Jesus with treason, okay, and Jesus could be tried as a criminal, all right? And um, eventually, they, they do do something like that to him, all right? but you have to understand that this is a trap. Now, how does Jesus handle this trap? Well, he answers, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, all right? So he does answer the question, pay your taxes, okay? He does answer the controversial question, yes, pay your taxes, but he pulls it back away from politics and says, but we do this out of a honor for God and we have to give to God what is God's, All right, so he doesn't say uh, that he doesn't keep it in the realm of politics. All right, but he pulls it back to the heart of why we should be obedient to this, because we have to render to God what is God's. Okay, and I think that's really how we should be answering a lot of these questions. Okay, refusing to be drawn into politics for the sake of politics. Okay, the reason why we hold certain political positions as Christians is because we believe that they best reflect what the Scriptures teach. Okay? Our, our allegiance is not to Republicans or Democrats or to any party or any political figure. Our allegiance is to the Scriptures and to God ultimately. And then we support certain parties or positions or bills based out of that greater allegiance to God and to Scripture. Okay? That's really what Jesus is saying here. Okay? Second controversial issue that Jesus speaks into—and by the way, he speaks into a lot—is right, um, the oral tradition. Okay? Now, to understand this, you really have to understand Jewish culture. Okay, the oral tradition is the teachings of the rabbis that's passed down through the generations that gives interpretations of the Old Testament, okay, of the Bible, all right? And the idea is that these were actually held to be authoritative, all right? So you had a body called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the seventy. um, ruling religious leaders, okay, They're the leaders of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and the elders, all right, and what they would do is they would gather together, and they would make authoritative rulings, all right, and one of the classic examples is Sabbath, so in the Law of Moses it says you shall not work on the Sabbath, um, but what constitutes work, all right, and so the Sanhedrin, um, they would meet and they would say, well, picking grain on the Sabbath, that constitutes work and they would give that, that ruling, and that would become authoritative, okay? So that would become binding on the entire um, community of Israel, all right? And they had real power, all right? They could really um, prosecute somebody for violating um, these types of laws and stuff like that, okay? And that's exactly what happens in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus' disciples are picking grain on the Sabbath, and Pharisees say, hey, why are your disciples doing what is unlawful to do? And Jesus basically makes an argument from Scripture saying that it is lawful, okay? It is lawful for them to pick grain on the Sabbath. And then he goes on into healing on the Sabbath. And again, healing was something that was not permitted on the Sabbath, but Jesus makes an argument that it is, he- it is permissible on the Sabbath. And um, in Matthew 12, he says in verse 13, he says to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. All right. So what you see in this episode is that Jesus um, is violating the oral tradition; he's violating um, these teachings and these rulings by the Sanhedrin. And what what that shows is that he does not respect their authority, or rather, that he regards himself as being higher authority than them. And this is dangerous to their power. This is politics. Okay? This is politics because if Jesus becomes the Messiah, becomes the king, what he's showing is that he is not gonna respect their position. Okay? And so when Jesus starts to grow in popularity and he's teaching these things that violate the oral tradition, well you have to understand this is what causes many of the Pharisees to reject Jesus because they say he doesn't he doesn't qualify. He's sinful. He sins in these ways, he teaches things that are wrong, that are contrary to scripture. Okay, why? Because he disagreed with them, all right? He disagreed with their elders, okay? And um, this is what made him dangerous to them, and this is why they decided to um, kill him, all right? Because they were worried that he was getting so popular that he would be able to claim being Messiah, people would follow him, and then he would be able to lead a, a revolution against Rome. All right, this is what they were worried about, and they were convinced that he was not the true Messiah. And so, from their perspective, putting him to death was expedient. Okay, it was it was necessary. They had to do it in order to save the nation from being, you know, hoodwinked by this charlatan. All right, that was their rationale and their understanding. Okay, all right. Now, the last controversial thing that you know Jesus said, and again. He said so many controversial things. I, you know, I had to be a little choosy in, in picking at some of these things. All right, is that Jesus confronts the Sanhedrin? Okay, this is at his trial. All right, he's being tried at the very end of his life because he's been charged with blasphemy. Okay, he's been charged with blasphemy, and now he's being tried before the the Jewish religious court. Okay, and in Matthew 26, the high priest said to him, "I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God." You've You have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And he is worthy of death, they answered. Okay. So my point in bringing this up is because Jesus did not have to say this. Okay? He was quiet. (laughs) <laughs> for most of his trial, and then he just drops his bomb on them, which is about the most offensive thing he could have said. Um, and he says it, and we should understand why this is offensive, okay? Because what Jesus is doing here is he's quoting from Daniel seven. All right, now when he says this, they know exactly what he's talking about. A lot of Christians, when they read this section, they don't know why it's so controversial. It's because they knew Daniel seven, and they knew that he's quoting directly from Daniel seven. He's claiming, he's claiming to be God, okay? Um, I, I have Daniel 7 here. This is the vision that Daniel saw. It says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Okay, so that's from Daniel 7. And what Daniel saw is he saw a son of man, a human, seated next to the Ancient of Days on a throne. He was given authority over all the nations, and they worshiped him. You have to understand, this is a very difficult passage to understand if you're a Jew, because it looks like like blasphemy. It looks like a man being worshiped. And Jesus is saying, that's me, okay? (laughs) That's what he's saying, that's me. And they understand what he's saying. That's why the high priest tears his clothes, because it sounds like blasphemy. This guy's claiming to be God. This guy's claiming to be worthy of worship. And, um, and my only point in bringing this up is this idea that we should hide controversial truths again. You do not see that with Jesus. He's not hiding the ball, okay? Now, there are times where Jesus is not as forthcoming as he could be. There are times where he speaks in mysterious ways and people don't understand what he's really getting at. There is a time for that, okay? I'm not saying that we always have to speak controversial truths, but again, what I'm confronting is this idea that we should never speak controversial truth, all right? Or we should be very, you know, or we should uh, not be offensive, okay? Jesus was very offensive. It's why he got crucified, okay? It's why he got persecuted. It's why, you know, in, in John 6, when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, it's why many people stopped following him. He didn't need to be this offensive, all right? He didn't need to be this controversial. Um, but he felt it was important to be so, all right? And that's the point. The Lord uses... Um, truths that can be perceived as offensive as tests for us, and not just for us, but for all people, okay? So it's important if we're going to be the people of God, we have to be able to speak offensive truths when the Lord calls us to do it, okay? And my last example is from the New Testament, the apostles was with Stephen. There's a number of examples I could give. I gave one earlier from Paul, um, but they almost all say things that are are offensive at times, okay? This one is particularly offensive. This is Stephen speaking again before the same Sanhedrin that Jesus was tried at, and he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And when members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven. Open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Okay, again, it it would have been hard for Stephen to say anything that was more offensive than this. <laughs> okay, like this is about the most offensive thing he could have said to this group of people right? and he did. He let him have it. Okay. Why? Because it was the spirit of God moving him to speak these words. All right. And the Lord wanted to speak this offensive truth to the people. All right? And again, that's how we should understand that sometimes the Lord is going to want us to speak offensive truth to the people. All right. And we have to be prepared to do that. We should not consider that. That's not wrong. Okay? It's not wrong when people get offended by the preaching of the gospel okay and the idea that we should always hide um, the offensive parts of scripture i'm sorry there's just no evidence for this okay what preaching offensive truths does is it does bring persecution okay and that's the last thing i want to end with here is understanding how the scripture regards persecution okay i think when we offend people i think a lot of people have this idea that that's a that's a that's a loss All right if you offend somebody then you can't win them to christ That's true, but I think we have to understand that God does not want every person to be one to Christ, okay? He doesn't want everyone to be one to Christ if it's at the cost of not speaking what's true, okay? God often uses things that are offensive, okay, to test people's hearts. In fact, when the people of God offend others for the sake of righteousness, and that brings persecution, what the scripture says is that we're actually blessed. That's actually a very good thing. Okay, it's a good thing that happens. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven for the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Okay, so persecution is not something that we should see as a loss. It's something that we should see as a a benefit. Okay, I want to clarify. I'm not saying that we should, again, we should not be intentionally provocative. We should not be going around trumpeting all the most offensive things in the Bible that we can find just to make people mad. Okay, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we should not shy away from speaking the truth in love, even though we know that it will offend some. To some it will offend, and to others it will bring freedom. Okay, that's how it works. When Paul preached about the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed at him, but others said, we want to hear more. And that's what you see again and again in the preaching of Paul. Some people get offended, and some people come to the knowledge of the truth. All right, And that's always how the gospel has been and as Christians. That's always how we should be. So any, any pastor or Christian leader or church or ministry that says that we don't speak you know, controversial things. We don't speak into controversy. We don't. We don't touch politics, right? We don't do any of that. I want to lovingly say, I believe that is an unbiblical position. I believe that position is not biblically sustainable. All right. Again, I don't think every you know every church needs to have Republican symbols up everywhere, and uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about allegiance to a political party okay, I'm talking about not being afraid to speak truth when it ventures into politics, when it becomes controversial in a culture, and that's where we're at today, okay? When we're dealing with things like homosexuality, this was not controversial 20, 30 years ago, and for the thousands of years before that, it was not really that controversial, okay? It's been controversial in the the past 10 years here in America, and now you have all of these churches and Christians and, and people who are saying that we should not talk about this. I want to lovingly say that is not how this works, okay? The world made it controversial. We are to continue to speak the truth in love, all right, and not, not being ashamed of Jesus' commands. Amen? All right. Hope this helpful. God bless.